The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. Look who we have in the studio this morning. We're live. <laughs> it is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I have no idea what, oh, it's the 22nd. Is of it November. already? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I've lost all track of the days at this point, you guys. But we have Dr. Grampy Shea in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Shannon. You're Good at the morning, top of everyone. my grateful list this oh week. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad, glad to be back. Yes. It's been so, such a whirlwind since, I think, like, the I don't know, sometime in October. Yes, yes. Yeah, we've done so, a lot. So much has happened since then. We have, And we've done a lot. <laughs> yes. I don't know if, since I haven't been back, I don't know if, um, our viewers, you talked about our events. I, we talked a little and we showed some clips from it, but we didn't really. I think I was waiting for you to come back. Oh. It was an amazing, <laughs> for those of you who don't remember, because it's been a minute, Yes. Uh, the All Ghouls Gala, the first annual All Ghouls Gala was held that last Saturday in October. Tell them what, what the benefit was for. It was for ACT Today or Autism Care Today and for we were sponsoring specifically a group of children whose parents had written in and asked for grants. And, of course, it was a huge Halloween event. And, you know, as I had thought, a lot of people out there are like me and they enjoy dressing up. Yes. <laughs> so it was a pretty big event. And yes. we had pretty good coverage and really good sponsorship. And yes. I think it was a great success. I will never do it at my house again <laughs> because that's impossible. But, yeah, I'm glad that we had so many people, and it was just great. And today, I guess, if we have the opportunity at the end of the day, we should look at giving out some grants, which is wonderful. It's very exciting. And then after that, I don't know if you know, like literally the day or about, I don't know, 20 hours after that party, I flew to Saudi Arabia, Yes. and that is a very, very long flight. That's like 20-somewhat hours of flight time. And then I was there for 10 days, and um, that was also wonderful in a lot of ways, sad, but also wonderful. Um, it was, it's a very different lifestyle, and that was an adjustment for me. Even though I was born in Iran, you know, I grew up in a very Western culture, and, and Saudi is still very, has, has certain rules that you have to adhere to. But... I saw clinics, I saw schools, I saw families with autism, I saw charity events. I went to an incredible charity event Mm -hmm. that raised literally two million U.S. dollars in about three hours. Wow. I mean, it was unbelievable because... Did we get the names and addresses of those people? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well... Let's invite them to next year's All Goals Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And it was a a really well-done event, too. What they had done was a family, the family that you and I both know, Mm -hmm. had sponsored a 100 artists, painters to work individually with 100 children on the spectrum for a period of about, I think, three to six months. 
and each had produced an art piece, and now the charity was selling the art How pieces. How brilliant is right. that? Right, and with that money, now they're going to have a building for art for oh kids. With it. But it was fantastic, goodness. right. So, um, and then I saw schools that are magnificent and lack really high quality ABA type knowledge. Okay. I saw centers where I so was they actually. Needed you. They, it was really important to be there, let's yeah. put it that way. And, and then the centers that I went to was very interesting because I met some really talented registered behavior technicians out there, RBTs. Yeah. And I observed their work and they were fantastic. I think all they were missing was uh, like a really advanced curriculum, yeah, like skills. So I'm looking forward to trying to help some of the Amazing. organizations out there and you know, I hopefully, <clears throat> excuse me. Hopefully, I'll be able to help them because, uh, you know, as you know, once I sold Card, I signed a non-competition -comp agreement with yeah. Card. Yeah. And so obviously, it's a uh, they they hold me to that. Yes. But you know, from my perspective, helping families on the other side of the world is not really competitive. Right. Um, since Card really has no intention of opening anything in Saudi Arabia. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's okay to help, and I really want to help the families out there and across the Middle East, you know? Uh, yeah. There's kids everywhere wow. who need our help. And then That's I came amazing. back for literally two days. Yes. Then I flew to Philadelphia yes. for, um, and this is another wonderful thing, the Eagles Foundation uh, partnered up with UBS, and they... Uh, had this autism roundtable, which they've had, I think, six or seven times now. Yeah. I've been to a few of them before. And I did um, a keynote there about kind of the history of autism, ABA, and sort of, you know, how the world of autism and ABA has changed. Yeah. And that was awesome as well. It was really nice. There were so many, and I met, and this was a, a very cool thing for me. Yeah. Uh, two different parents were mm -hmm. in the audience, and it wasn't a big group. It was, I'd say, mm -hmm. somewhere around, I don't know, 70 to 100 people yeah. at this roundtable. And um, two different parents came up to me and said, you know, you evaluate. One parent said, you evaluated my daughter and treated her 18 years ago and wow. then told me all about her. And then a dad came up and said, yeah, my son was with you 20 years ago. He's like wow. 32 now. Yeah, and I was like, Wow. That tells That's you, crazy. you know. It's pretty cool, though, to, like, rem I remembered the dad, actually. But it's just really interesting to go back that far. And it, I, I got uh, a text from Danny Bowman because oh, right. she I met saw you her and there took a picture. You guys know Danny because she appears on Autism Live fairly regularly. She is one of the girls on uh, Love on the Spectrum, the USA version. She's yes. the one that's the animator. And she was at the same conference, and, and she was excited because... You guys just keep missing each other. You yes. keep not being at the same yes. events, and she was really excited to meet you. And she sent me, she was like, look who I finally met. Yes, and, uh. and I actually had just spoken about Stories from the Spectrum uh -huh. on stage. Uh -huh. So when I came down, she immediately said, you know, my work is on there. And I was yes. like, of course I know Danny. And, and she is so beautiful. Isn't she like, stunningly in so many beautiful. ways, like inside and outside, yes. like just gorgeous. Yeah. And, and I, talented, too. I didn't want to leave. I, she caught me right when I was leaving because I had to catch a flight. Yeah. But 
I didn't want to leave after I had yeah. met her. Well, we'll have to get you guys yeah. together That more was often. lovely, yeah. Um, but we're here this hour, and Dr. Grand Pichet is going, we wanted to get you guys caught up, because, you know, and for me, there's been nothing but the toy guide. <laughs> nothing but the toy guide. It's I'm been sorry, toy guide 24 I abandoned you with no, that no, no, this year. No, 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 uh, It's been so much fun, but the toy guide is live now. So for those of you who uh, have been waiting for the toy guide, it's live right now. Go to autismnetwork.com and click on, it says toy guide winners on the top, and then you can pick which category you want. The, the toys are all there. We love feedback from you guys. There is, now if you look at it on mobile, it's slightly different, but there is always a button. It's underneath the toy. So it's the toy. It's what award it won, the toy, a picture of it, a description, what we say about it. And then there is the button that if you push the button, it will take you to a site where you can purchase the toy. Um, that is separate from us, but you guys had asked for that and we wanted to make it convenient for you. So that is there. When you're doing it on mobile, just make sure, because it was a little confusing for me this morning, we might need to look at moving that, because it, the, where, to, where to buy it is right above the next toy. So oh. just know that it's the one above that see. you'll see when you click on it. You'll go, wait a second. And, I, and I just, just send us a link in case we want to announce. Well, let's do that. Which is autismnetwork.com and then slash, slash toy guide. Toy guide. There so you go. So very simple. So you can and, find it there. Yep. We hope that you guys will check it out. There are so many different categories. We, we did sort of age categories. So there's a baby toddler category. Okay. There is the preschool category, the um, school aged, then teen tween, adult, and then a caregiver section. Uh, and then with each, within each one of those, there's 16 different awards. Oh, so there's oh one gosh. that's for motor skills. There's one for language skills. There's one for social skills. There's the top toy. There's the yeah. oldie but goodie, a puzzle toy, a book. I love all the books we chose. But um, I always say to people, start with the age that the individual is and look at the toys and gif gifts in that category, but then click on the other <clears throat> ones because you might have a teenager that likes one of the toys in the adult <clears throat> section, and a lot yeah. of time... A lot of times, I mean, people have already looked at it and said, wait, this is in the adult section? Because I just don't believe in the, you know, you have to do something that's age appropriate. So I was actually going to talk about, I'm glad you said it that way, because I feel like there's one of the questions I get a lot, Shannon, is, is it okay for my 10-year-old to play with toys that are like for four-year-olds? Right. And that's kind of an interesting question in itself. And I would say, you know, toys have two purposes I think one is just recreation they're fun yep. they're reward they're reinforcer and the other is they also mediate interaction with others mm -hmm. okay so they are like when you have a toy other kids will come up and be interested and then you end up engaging and so on so if it's you know so for the first purpose I say children should be, and adults too, by the way, should be allowed to play with whatever. It doesn't matter the age. I agree with you completely. The importance is that it is rewarding to them. And so it's important also for our parents who are looking at the toy guide to consider that. Like, look at the things that your child is into, yep. right? And go to that toy or the, that level as opposed to just their age. Yeah. But for social purposes, I think it's also important for our kids to learn to play with the toys that are popular and age-appropriate because they 
draw other kids. Yep. And that's, th that's basically what you have to do is a and little bit fact, of both. in fact, we added a category this year um, that it, we've never done it before, but this year we added best video game. Oh, I love that. So that, and we chose things um, in those age norm categories that are really mainstream, that are not bad, right. that are good games where they'll actually be building social skills in them for those video games. Perfect. Um, but you'll see that there are some things, and we, we sort of label and say this is a mainstream. Yes. Like there's a Yu-Gi-Oh! trading game that's in there, and it's labeled this is a good mainstream when you're trying to get them to socialize with people in their age range. But thank you for being one of the experts. who, Because, you know, just yesterday somebody was saying something about, well, you know, my 21-year-old wants to play with Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. And I said, you know what, they're 21. Yeah. Let it go. I just, I just flew back from Texas, and on the plane I watched, um, what is it, Bullet Train? Yeah. And there's an adult male in Bullet Train that the whole movie, he talks about Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, he does. Every <laughs> single time something comes up, he, go, he compares it to Thomas, and he says, oh, you're like By the, the way, how amazing was Joey in there? Oh, she's so she's good. She's amazing. Joey King, right? who was one yeah. of the... Uh, Recipients of award that we gave uh, at the, the event. That's right. Oh, she's amazing. She is. I, I. It's on my list. I want to watch her as the princess. Oh, where right. Where she just like leaps all over the place and beats <laughs> the crud out of all these men. It's incredible. She's um, Joey. If you guys don't know, she's been somebody who's been a supporter of Autism Care Today since she was this little. Yes. I mean, you could carry her around in, her, in your pocket. She Absolutely. was so little. And she was always so lovely, you know, like even when she was a little child, she was always so gracious and, and yeah, she's, so I was very happy that we were able to give her an award. I, I found out part of the secret of that because she used to always, she would be little and she would be on the red carpet and she would be speaking very Eloquent. eloquently yeah. and intelligently about how people on the spectrum are amazing and that, and she would always say, one of my best friends is someone who's on the spectrum oh. and she is fabulous and she is wonderful. Well, I, I didn't know who that best friend was, Chelsea Darnell. No way. Yes, wow. I did not know that. So, That's And then amazing. when I found that out, I was like, well, that all makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. She was around someone her whole life and, and had that opportunity to see what that was. So, you know, she's been out there since she was little trying to tear down the stigma yep. of, you know, hey, we're all cool. Let's all be together on this. Okay, we got a lot of questions coming in. We have other questions. Uh, our first question that we were going to start with today, do we even want to go there or do we want to start taking live? Sure, things? sure. Our, yeah, first, our first question that we were going to talk about today is, because you guys have written this in in droves in lots of different ways, but how do I teach creativity? Okay, right, or imagination. Imagination, imagination. That's yes, the, that yes. was the word. So, you know, and, and thanks for kind of jogging my memory because that's such a broad uh, topic. And I think the way that we generally deal with teaching, you know, I guess toy play as a whole yeah. is, is developmentally, right? And when you are very, very young, the, uh, when you're like, let's say, typical development, like two-year-old, you're looking at things that we call... A functional play and these are like you know musical toys that where you press a button something happens it's a cause and effect type of toy right you press something a light goes on you put turn a handle somebody pops out whatever right. it is so cause and effect type toys and so you want to start there because those are intrinsically rewarding in a sense because the child does something and they immediately get a response 
so that's kind of where we start playing teaching some toys and then you go on to because you know your goal is to get to a point that's very abstract which is imagination or pretend which is a very different and difficult concept for a lot of our kids and i guess when i get there i'll talk about why that's difficult but you start with that and then obviously you will go to things that are like uh, more play that is functional and you have actual objects that you're using so for instance before you go to teaching someone let's say dressing up which is an imagination type thing or pre pure pretend you'll do something that's more symbolic so for instance you use a toy telephone mm -hmm. and you teach the child the function of the toy telephone because a lot of our kids they see you on the phone and nowadays obviously a toy telephone is going to look completely different from the phone they see you on right. but there are actually they toy telephones like, like this now too yeah. yes yeah. so and you teach them by modeling kind of like oh hi i'm pretending to i'm talking to mom how are you and so on and then they see that and th then you care and again shannon as you know like with skills there's 10 different things going on at the same time that kind of come together right so separately you want to make sure that the child has already mastered enough language and a specific lesson let's say called greetings where they're able to say hi my name is, who are you, what are you doing, you know, it's some basic social conversation, which now can, you do it first for real, like you get on another phone, your child is on the phone, and then you do it pretend, where there isn't another person on the phone and they're pretending, and then you do it without the phone, so you do it like holding another object. Right. Being able to pretend or have imagination means that you're able to you like come up with objects and things that aren't in reality used the way that we normally use them right it's something in your mind now that is so hard for our kids because of the whole theory of mind concept mm -hmm. and you know like um, an example of this is when a child wants to uh, they they're very very rule governed right yeah. something is black or white and if I take, let's say, a phone and pretend that it's a plate, that just doesn't fit into yeah, the normal they look rules. They like you're crazy. It's just not part of the rules, right. right? And with a lot of our kids, you have to realize we teach massive amounts of information to them after the fact. And they're classified after their age group, right? Yeah. So like at a later age, and they're classifying this stuff as we teach them. So for instance, when you teach them about plates, you teach them, you know, usually it's round, it could be square, it's something that you put food on, it's right. made of china or plastic or whatever. So you teach all these descriptors about that particular thing. Now, removing those rules and applying a completely different rule, it's like, okay, well, I guess this is rectangle. I mean, I guess it could be only because the feature that it has in common is that it's a flat surface, yeah. you know, with plates. Yeah. So all of that is very difficult to get to. So you want to kind of go around and do, you know, a lot of symbolic play, but functional pretend play and eventually get the child to a point where they're ready to um, make up things. Yeah. There's a really good lesson that we had in skills and, and again I, we've talked about skills and I don't know if it's available to the public right now but 
hopefully it is. And, and I think soon I'm going to try and write out some of these lessons for, for publication. But what this, this particular lesson is you'll draw a, just start with something like a basic shape, like a circle. And you'll show it to the child and the child will most likely say it's a circle because that's what you've taught. And then you'll say, well, I, th I think it's also a cookie. And you teach the child to come up with other things that could potentially, like it could be a pizza, it could yeah. be, I don't know, a ball, it could be various other things. It and could be so the moon. It could be the moon. It could be the sun. Right. And so as you keep doing that, the child, the boundaries that you've taught start to become gray. And that's very, very important for our kids because when they learn certain rules, they become extremely rule governed yeah. and they become rigid in a sense. And they're like, you know, your bedtime is eight o'clock means eight o'clock. It can't yeah. be 8.01. Those types of rigid behaviors then start to dissipate because they understand that it's not all black and white. It can yeah. be gray. And imaginative play also comes a lot from things like, for instance, once you get to the point where you, your child can have a conversation about what they're seeing on TV, like cartoons or so on, and you can sit and talk about, like, you know, oh, that was funny, he was flying, but you can't really fly, right? right. That's pretend. And so making kind of two buckets of things that are real and things that are pretend yeah. And that you can have fun with the things that are pretend. Yeah. And that's kind of also where dressing up comes in, where, you know, you dress up as a fireman or as your mom or whatever right. it is. And you talk a lot about pretending yeah. to be that person. It's very, very helpful because, you know, one of the problems with perspective taking is that our kids are very much only in their own head and have a hard time taking someone else's perspective. And once you get to pretend play, like uh, dress up and, and that kind of uh, imaginative play, it really helps them to see things from someone else's perspective, which is also a big deal. I think it helps. Uh, tell me if I'm in left field, but I think it helps with anxiety too. That if you are so rule governed and, it, oh, and yeah. the plate can only be the plate and that's all it can ever be. I see, because this is the thing I love the most. I'm the aunt that always would come over and pick up my coffee cup and be like, hello? Oh, it's the phone. It's for you. And the yeah. kids would always look at me like, what? And it would be this thing. And then they would go, oh. And it takes a little bit longer with, with a lot wow. of kids on the spectrum. But I find that you can get there with them, too. And when they go, oh, then this could be other things. I could have fun with that. In the beginning, there, I, I've noticed that there's just a little bit of anxiety. Like, yeah. no, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. That's a coffee cup. You don't put it up to your ear and talk to grandma on Definitely. that, right? And I would rather see them go through that anxiety in a safe way while we're talking about a cup, coffee cup than later on when they're at school when somebody's Absolutely. doing something and have the meltdown there. Absolutely. Because we survive it. 100%. And you know, Shannon, you bring up a really important point. The whole concept of just our kids and how much anxiety they bear all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've talked a lot about how I think just be, having sensitivity to light and sound causes anxiety. Having to be in a social environment where you feel like you're not able to understand or speak as well as others causes anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
all of these things cause anxiety. Now, one industry as a whole, where I think a lot of people who flourish in that industry come from a place of anxiety is acting. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, when you're yes. an actor, you're on stage being someone else. And that mm. helps. I've talked to a lot of people yeah. who do that, and comedians, actors, and oh. so on. And they're like, you know, yeah, my anxiety is completely gone because I'm someone else. Yes. And teaching our kids to actually like be able to put on that persona and then get a lot of reward for it, like mm -hmm. a lot of like, wow, that was incredible acting, yeah. is something that will definitely help their anxiety and it will give them an out. Yeah, well, I mean, as you, know, you know, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and everybody I know in theater, because I don't know if everybody knows, I used to teach theater. That's what my master's degree is in, exactly. theater. And so I used to teach college theater, and I would always say it's called a play for a reason. Yes, yes, playing, yes, right? I love that. Um, but it, it does help with anxiety. Okay, so I hope that question is answered. That's the beginnings of how to teach imagination. So uh, let's get to some of the questions that you guys have had coming in. I think Traven probably already showed you some of the ways to connect with the show, uh, some of the different ways that you can be watching. We really want to remind you, especially today and right now, that if you go to our website, autismnetwork.com, you really, that's a hub where you can be connected to everything, the Toy Guide, Ask Dr. Green, Autism Live, Stories from the Spectrum. And when you're on that site, about six seconds after you join it, a pop-up will come up and ask if you want to join uh, to be on our mailing list. And we have not been sending you things because we don't like to abuse that, right? right. We only like to use that when we've got something good. But I will tell you something, that later on this week, we're going to be sending out a newsletter for all of you for Black Friday and there are there's going to be at least one coupon in it that's going to be for money off of one of our favorite toys this year so Great. you're going to want to get that email awesome. uh, because when you see this toy you're going to want it so please if you haven't already sign up to be on that newsletter letter because you're going to be hearing from me and we're going to do that again in December because I want it to be meaningful we're not just going to spam and put things in for your sure, but, for sure. but this is something that you're going to want so definitely go there. But if Traven hasn't already shown you, there's lots of different ways where you can watch the show, including on our website. Um, and if you're not watching live now, watch in podcasts. We're available any place that you get your podcasts for free. If you want to watch picture and sound, our home for that is YouTube. Definitely check out our YouTube channel there. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to know things that are going on there as well. So Teresa has written in. Good morning to everybody, by the way. I'm saying hi to Teresa, Liliana, Yasmin, um, and then Shas, I don't know, and Susie, good morning to you, and many others. The list is way too long. Felix, good morning, and Michelle, hi. So uh, Teresa was first this morning and wrote in and said that uh, she's a graduate student, and she says, if my hypothesis is automatically maintain function, how should my trial basis FA be conducted? Okay. Yeah. D dig into the jargon there. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, your hypothesis has to be some sort of assumption. So your hypothesis is automatically maintain function is this or that, right? It's not just about automatically maintain function. It's some aspect of that. So maybe you can also tell me more about that. But that being said, and just for our viewers, just for our viewers, because when you're doing a hypothesis, your hypothesis is, let's say, 
you know, the moon is green. Okay. You have to have an idea, and then your hypo and that's your hypothesis, and then you have to go about proving it right or wrong. I right. Yeah. So with an automatically maintained function, what Teresa is talking about is essentially there are behaviors where in behavior analysis, and I've talked about this a lot oh, because yeah. you know it's we don't know what the function is, and as you know with. Uh, behavior analysis, you are always looking for the function of a behavior. So for instance, if I hit you, uh, it's either going to be because I want something you have, or I'm trying to get out of a situation, or I'm trying to get someone's attention, or there are specific functions, right? And that's the, those are the ones I always talk about where I say it's either to gain something or avoid something. Right. So, but with automatically maintained behaviors uh, in behavior analysis, we say they are intrinsically reinforced. That means there's something going on inside that is maintaining that behavior, right? I always say the paycheck is on the inside. Exactly. That's the best way to put it. Okay. And I think what Teresa is asking is like if this, and, and you know, with a functional analysis, what you're trying to do is you look at a behavior and you look at what happened right before it and what happened right after it. and you tr because your point in behavior analysis is to change either the antecedent or the consequence or both right. in order to change that behavior. Right. So with automatically maintained behaviors, that's very difficult to do so, because you don't know what's going on internally, right? right? right. That's causing this or, or is the consequence of it, right? right? So for instance, a great example of an automatically maintained behavior is let's say visual stimming. Right? And if someone is like looking at stuff like this, you don't know what they're getting out of that. What is the function? Why are they doing this? Right. And so Teresa has a great question. She's saying, how do I actually do a functional assessment with that? Now, you cannot do an experimental functional analysis. An experimental one means that you're trying to instigate a specific behavior Right. and see if what you just did really did cause it. Now, we right. do that sometimes when we're not sure about the function of a behavior, right. like a child hits other kids. We're going to try different types of scenarios to actually provoke that behavior. In a very controlled in environment, a very, right? very con Experimental FAs are always very, very controlled. Okay. So in, with an automatically maintained function, you really can't do that because okay. it's not in your control. But you can still observe. You can do an observational functional assessment where you're looking and seeing that every time this, and you have to do lots of observations, and you'll see that when these particular types of behaviors occur, there's usually something before or something after. Now, I love this question, Teresa, because I've always thought to myself, what is it internally? And I've classified in my own head, and you might, that might go into your thesis, I don't know, but you might want to classify them and see if you can identify different types of possible antecedents. So, for example, for me, certain behaviors, certain self-stimulatory, ritualistic, stereotypical behaviors actually show uh, pain. They show a reduction of pain. So, for instance, uh, escape from pain, okay? And those would be things like when you see a child who's body rocking, but they body rock against something, like an, against the counter, against the, the stool or arm of a chair, something like that, where they're actually putting pressure mm -hmm. on their stomach. Another thing with body rocking, which is very interesting, and you can read about this, is that when you do this motion, 
you are activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which is calming, it's soothing. This is why we have rocking chairs. Mm -hmm. And rocking chairs move back and forth in that motion. So if a child or an adult is doing a lot of this, you can be pretty sure that they are enjoying the activation of the parasympathetic. Yeah. And so they're seeking that, right? Yeah. If, I, if I was very, let's say, anxious or irritable or whatever, and someone told me, hey, do this, it's just like when we sit down and do meditation, yeah. right? Why do we do meditation? We do it to calm ourselves. And so this could very likely be a way to calm. So that kind of answers your question. It's, it, the function is to produce calmness, right? So yeah. that's one. Other things like visual self-stimulatory behaviors, as you know, of course, there's a lot going on with the vision, the, the in input of visual stimuli for our kids, right? Sometimes you have children who have a, a great difficulty focusing on one object. Sometimes you have children who seek out uh, looking at shadows or looking at patterns just because the patterns help organize things for them or you know it's one of the symptoms of autism is sensory dysregulation and I wonder often if these types of behaviors that involve visual self stimulatory behaviors that we currently consider to be automatically maintained mm -hmm. are just part of producing some form of sensory regulation for mm -hmm. ourselves right? It's caught, it helps the child produce. A lot of times I think our kids have like no proprioceptive sense at all. Like they don't know their body in space. And these types of things often um, perhaps are allowing them to kind of have a border around themselves or give them some sense of security. Now here's the last one and then I'll let your imagination go with it. But what I've noticed a lot of times, like you look at some of our self-stimulatory behaviors with our kids, they're very, very much similar to obsessive compulsive behaviors. Uh, so for instance, lining up objects, hoarding, holding two things together, uh, putting things in a perfect order. Those types of things, those are OCD. Those are obsessive compulsive behaviors. For me, I became a behavior analyst after I was a clinical psychologist. So I always, when I saw those things, I was like, this is OCD. This is like exactly what OCD is. And OCD, don't forget, the compulsions and obsessive compulsiveness are a result of anxiety. They, we think our hands are dirty. That's the obsession. And then the compulsion is washing. The compulsion gets control over the obsession. So that could very well be as well. Our kids maybe because of the way they see the world, right? It's very disorganized, very floating in air. There's no floor or walls. Everything is all over the place visually. So perhaps what they're trying to do is organize things and keep control over it in some way. So those are the types of things, a reduction of pain, reduction of anxiety, uh, regulation of sensory inputs. There's a lot of things like that that could serve as the possible function. All you can do, though, in order to do an actual FA is, a, is an, um, by observation when it occurs. You cannot instigate it. Her further question was, and you, you sort of already may have answered this, and what should I consider when collecting ABC data? data yeah, prior? so obviously the consequential data, you will just observe behavior, and you're looking at, you know, has anything changed with behavior? You always want to look at the normal stuff as well, obviously. There could be 
dual functions. Somebody could be giving attention when they do self-stimulatory types of behavior, all those. But at the same time, I would go further back in the antecedent uh, collection of data, and I would look at things like, hmm, do these behaviors occur more when the child isn't sleeping? Do they occur more in specific settings which are causing anxiety? Do they occur more, let's say, when the child has uh, had you know, some specific foods to eat that are causing them distress? Those types of things. So think outside the box when you're looking for the antecedents. There you go. Uh, Yasmin has said, hello, I would like some help with my son. He's 12 and has autism. He has anxiety about death every day, if not every other day, multiple times a day. He would say, I don't want to die or I don't want to break, which is also the same thing. He also says he doesn't want anyone to die. He also says he doesn't want to grow up and that he wants to stay small forever and that he is on medication, 50 Surgery. milligrams of uh, surgery. So, you know, this is a hard one, Yasmin, only because... She did write more. Do you okay. want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I just don't know enough about his functioning. Yeah. He sometimes gets frustrated and hits his head or bites his hands, and, and then he says, I'm sorry. I just feel frustrated sometimes, but he always wants me, teachers, or others to reassure him that he's not dying. I once tried telling him years ago that when we pass away, we can all be together with God. I think that's what causes anxiety. Now I don't know how to respond to him. But I do reassure him that he's fine. But what he really wants to hear is that he's not going to die ever. How can I help him? I'm so lost. I know that this is consistently in his mind, and the unknown gets him really anxious. And that's all. Yeah. So this is, this is an interesting one because I think there's actually more going on than just the anxiety. I think he's also getting a lot of attention for this particular thing. And a lot of times our kids do that. They have anxiety, they come to you, you give them attention, it dissipates the anxiety, but at the same time, they start to enjoy the attention. So they start to produce uh, things to talk about that they will almost ruminate and talk repeatedly about a subject that they know will get everyone to help them calm down. So you kind of need to break it in two different ways, I think. One is... Uh, you know, the subject of dying is way too abstract. I don't know exactly how much your son understands, doesn't understand what he's visualizing. But if you want to, you can certainly paint a much more beautiful picture about death, which is, uh, you know, produce an incredible painting with him or a craft, which is heaven, and make it a desirable thing. You certainly can do that. It still might be a little too abstract. I don't know if he's had the experience recently of, or even not recently of someone dying that, uh, so that they're gone. And I think his fear might be, where do you go? Once you're dead, where am I going to go? So you certainly can produce a very, very concrete vision of a beautiful place yeah. for him. But I do want to caution you that it's, it is going to continue to be a subject. When we get anxious, and this is not just your child, every, all of us, we focus on one thing and we obsess on it. And that might be something that is also happening here. He has a certain level of anxiety. And I think once you have produced that visual of 
this is the beautiful heaven that you will go to when you die, when we all die, we're all going to be together. It's going to be just like another house that we're in. We're all going to be having a great time together if that's okay with you. Because I know religiously sometimes we're not okay with telling those things to our yeah. kids. But it's important, I think, that you paint a much more since you've already started you know, we'll all be with God. I don't know if he understands that concept. I think it's important for him to know he'll be with you, with all of his friends, with his toys, with his teachers, with his people that he loves, with in his room that he loves, like nothing really changes for him or maybe a nicer place that right. he wants to, like Disneyland, something like that. And then when when you've done that exercise, in order to reduce the kind of rumination, obsession, talking about it, when he brings it up, you just point to the picture and change the subject. Because I think you need to start changing the subject because it's become one of the ways that he interacts with you and his teachers and everybody. And you don't necessarily want that to be forever the only topic that he can talk about, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of important as well. Now, I want to give you one other technique which... I think will help with any kind of anxiety and that's just uh, you know breathing exercises visualization of very positive things um, it's always important for our kids to learn self-soothing self-soothing is really really good um, and I teach our kids self-soothing by just giving them a corner of their room that they design uh, you know, you get a big, huge bean bag for them. If they like music, you give them sound-deadening um, uh, headphones. You play their favorite stuff there. If they like an iPad, whatever, the stuffed animals, blanket, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And in any scenario where they're not feeling well, that's a place for them to go and self-soothe. So that's another thing if he's really experiencing anxiety. She says they did have uh, a death recently a few months ago, but they have not yet told him he believes that the person is still in the hospital. And, and she asks the question, how do I present it to him? I think she's talking about... The visual? I don't, I'm not sure. She says, do I say when he asks me if he's dying, or do I set up a day to explain that for him, the, the, the visual of the group? I would life. set up a day separately, and I wouldn't engage with it when he's saying, I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And I would just start to do, I would do that pretty fast, pretty soon, and just talk about the beautiful place. Now, sometimes our kids, we don't tell them something, but they hear, uh, they overhear, or, you know, he may know that if someone goes to the hospital, it's not necessarily a good thing, that yeah. kind of stuff. So um, it probably did evoke the whole thing. But I think you can you can uh, make it a much better experience for him. There you go. Okay, I want to turn to. Uh, wait a second, I lost my place. I think. Um, S. H. Ash yes. said, "Dear Doreen, uh, for nine-year-old third grader in Gen Ed classroom, still has problem with friendship. Is fully verbal." School has pulled out special ed support and speech. Only support remains is social group. He still has a big time problem with flexible thinking and friendship. What can be done by the family now? So that is a fantastic question because a lot of times we think that, and this is, you know, a, a lot of parents will ask me, 
why do I hold children out of school until I've taught them a ton of skills? And that's because of this, because a lot of times our, we think if I put my child in school, they're going to get the support and the experience and they're just going to learn in vivo is how I say it. So kind of like as they're living life. And that doesn't usually happen because there's a lot of feelings and anxiety and skill sets that are missing and there's and a lot of stuff honest, the kids the other kids aren't nice a hundred percent shannon you know? you're and absolutely right helpful. totally totally right that's a really and nobody ever thinks of that and that's a yeah. big part of it so you want to teach the skills that are necessary to be successful away from home from school and in a very positive environment so you mentioned, for instance, flexible thinking and friendship, because those are two separate concepts. Let's talk about each one of those. Flexible thinking, easy to teach, because you take a bunch of stuff at home that usually would have a rule, and you make it upside down. You just take the rule and make it funky. Uh, whether you're playing a board game and you say, well, now, today, you know, the person who wins is the one that loses all their cards or the one that the person who wins is the one that whatever. And you change the rules, right? Oh, we're supposed to do this, but today we're going to play it in a different way. That thing that I was talking about earlier with the drawings, like yeah. a lot of times you could just take something and that helps flexible thinking as yeah. well and saying, oh, no, this isn't a cookie. This is a piece of pizza or this is whatever, a moon or all those types of things. So changing rules, uh, changing order. So let's say uh, we wake up, we brush our teeth, and then we get dressed and we go, today we're going to do it different. So you do things in different ways and you teach your child it's all good. All of everything yeah. can be done in a different way, right? So that's part of it. And also remember the part that this is so... Today has turned out to be all about anxiety, which is kind of interesting. What bothers us when we become inflexible, it's because we're anxious. So inflexibility gives us control. Having specific rules about things happening at a certain time and in a certain way makes us feel more in control and safer. Okay, so that tells me that he's having a little bit of a hard time in school. Something is causing him anxiety. Very likely, our kids get to a point, you know, especially nine, it sounds like um, great language and so on. It sounds like there's just some things that are difficult for him. My daughter, my beautiful Nikki, always used to have a ton of anxiety around PE. PE because she just wasn't very good physically with those types of things, you know, and it, she overcompensated and worked really, really hard at it. And she's like one of the most athletic people I know now. But when we're kids, there's always one or two subjects that we're just like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm dreading that because I'm just going to be terrible at that. And so for a lot of our kids, it's just the experience of school. It's the experience of following rules and being with a bunch of other kids who are loud and uh, unpredictable and maybe the course content I mean things are harder for him yeah so remember that he might have anxiety and that's why he's trying to be inflexible now you can teach him flexibility but what's gonna help him most with the anxiety is capability teaching him giving him tutoring on whatever it might be that's 
if he the better he is with things the more self-confidence he will be in school okay so that's a really important thing friendship that's you know i could talk about that for the remaining 20 minutes of the show or 10 minutes of the show so friendship the best things that i can tell you real quickly are first you want to work on the skills which me which are things like seeing things from someone else's perspective so that's the whole array of theory of mind lessons right teaching people how does someone else feel how do what do you think they're thinking um what types of things do you think this person might want if they were to throw a party um when they're sad what are some things you can do to help them like those empathy and and perspective taking excuse me but then you also want to teach them things like turn taking um, being willing to listen to someone else's subject of interest not just your own um, com- this is called social conversational skills right the distance you stand when you talk to someone paying attention to someone else uh, being able to repair a conversation like let's say you're talking about something someone's losing interest how do you even tell they're losing interest how do you repair that conversation how do you uh, join a group of friends as opposed to one friend so these are like i'd say easily 30 different lessons that go into social behavior at least 30 maybe 40 50 like so many different things that you would have to teach separately if you're more if you are interested in learning more about these then please go on skills for autism and I think that if it's still live online, you should be able to see those when you uh, purchase a license for it. But all of that said, what the whole thing about friendship is just teaching the child um, to interact with all those skills, but first with one other child. That's my biggest recommendation. We throw our kids into school and we kind of expect them to just fit into a group of kids. No. Find a child who is uh, calm, loving, caring, teacher-like. Often I say a a slightly older girl is good. Um, And bring them home if you can. Ask their parents and see if you can arrange one-on-one play dates. Because your child needs to attach to one other person. That will really change their life. Really change their life. Um, No matter what age or disability or none when we have one other friend we our courage multiplies and when there's two of you in school uh your child will do a lot better and will learn from the other child and will interact with others and and all that so that's kind of where i would focus is teaching a lot of skills outside of school and then doing play dates with one other child if possible Absolutely. I, I, I was told to find either the bossy girl yes. or the kid who is like a middle child in a family that has, multi, you know, like six kids. Absolutely. Or, or somebody who's an only child where the mom is like, I just need a break. <laughs> That's true. And, That's a good uh, one. Right? And that, you know, make your house the fun place to go. Definitely. So that everybody wants to go to your house. Definitely. And keep the play dates as short as you can. It's yes. hard when it's the single mom who wanted the break. That's so she true. She wants to be gone for eight hours. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I completely seriously. know what you mean. 
Uh, I, I, and have the coolest toys. I mean, yes. talking about our toy guide right oh now, gosh, yes. there's so many studies, Shannon, on the fact that toys, a unique yeah. toy, dr draws other kids. Yeah, everybody wants to So that's, that's part of it, too. Yeah, you have the Oculus. Everybody wants to come to exactly. your house. I know. I live in that neighborhood. <laughs> um, okay. I wanted, I wanted to, to come to your house yeah, when you got can. the Oculus. You I love that. You can come to my house and play Oculus. And now it's gotten so crazy. The Has things he, that is they he can so do, good? Oh, my God. I, I can't play it. Um, anyway, I wanted to address, Felix wrote it and said, hello, I just wanted to know about the lawsuit for Tylenol. Yes. I have a son with autism. I called the number that was posted online on the episode. Just wanted to know if it was okay that I gave them my social security number. Okay, because many of you have written in and asked this question, and I want to say this, that we, uh, the, when, when you watch any of the ep uh, episodes in the last couple of months where we had a specific yes. phone number... That is a law firm that I did all of the research on to vet to see that they are the real deal. And you are entering into a lawsuit arena, so they are going to need your Social Security number. I know we all feel uncomfortable yeah, about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it is, it is something that they will ask you. But I did vet them. Yeah. Do not, uh, that does not extend to other things that you see online for other law firms because there are multiple law firms. Oh, are there are, now? Yes. Oh, oh I didn't know multiple, that. There's multiple, multiple around the country that are seeking this and, whole thing. Um, and I have not vetted all of those. I just vetted Shapiro Law Group, and they are the real deal. Um, so, you know, I can speak to them if that helps you. I know it's very uncomfortable when yeah. people start asking you, you know, circumstances around your child. When was your child born? When were they diagnosed? You feel like, ah, I'm letting you into my very private stuff. And then they ask for your Social Security number. Yeah. And you go, ah. But um, if you call that number and you're talking to Shapiro uh, Law Group, they're a very reputable law group. So That's great. Um, anyway. And, you know, this whole thing, it's so interesting for me because <clears throat> I see it all over the TV as well now. Oh, yeah. But it's very interesting because we always knew that, you know, Tylenol is a medication that it, on its own is very d difficult to detox from. Yeah. And we are all told when our babies get vaccinated or even when we have issues as, and we're pregnant, take Tylenol or give yeah. the baby Tylenol. Yeah. And that obviously now together with the whole, all the research about autism and toxicity and yeah. so on, uh, it makes sense that this would be happening now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I tell you, I, was, I, had to, I, I, went to, I flew to Texas to be at a party and that was the number one question that everybody kept coming up to really? me saying, talk to me about the Tylenol thing. And, and I, I've been talking about Tylenol for 10 years. But, I mean, like, this is my issue, Shannon. I'm not sure that it's fair to sue Tylenol. I think it's more about the, what training our doctors get because what? it's the doctor who tells you, take Tylenol, give your baby Tylenol. You know what I mean? Well, I there, there are a lot of different aspects to this. And I think what people are learning is that, you know, it's not just one thing. And this is true of a lot yes. of medicines, yes. right? That, you know, you can take one medicine and be perfectly fine. And then if you take another medicine with that medicine, now suddenly you have a problem. Correct. So what is the problem? Is it this medicine? Is it this medicine? Or is it the person who prescribed it? Or is it the person who w is taking it who didn't read the, the details things and put it together because we're supposed to all know yes. how things interact? So there's a, there's a lot here, but what I enjoy is that we're finally asking the meaningful questions. Yes. Because there's That's some true. sense to this yes. that if you take, you know, I hate it when people just try to shut conversations down and say, oh, 
you know, it, it, you know, it has nothing to do with this and it has nothing to do with that. Maybe in your body. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, people react differently to different things. I'm glad that we're looking at things. And this is coming about because a study that was done by the NIH. Yes, absolutely so right. It's very reputable. There is more work that needs to be done. But there is a question mark here. Mm -hmm. um, and there's and the question mark is what, you know, if you are the manufacturer of something, what did you know? When did you know? Yeah, that's a very important question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and then how did you disseminate that information? Right. Uh, to the public. Yeah. Had, were you, you know, yeah. so all of that's being looked at and right. I appreciate that. I want to see. Oh, we don't really have time, but I, I this we have a question. A mom who is in great need. Yeah. Uh, my son has been doing speech therapy. His autism is severe and he's not interested. He doesn't pay attention. Um it's not interesting. I don't know what to do. I've already taken away TV. I only let him watch TV on Fridays and Saturdays, uh, Fridays to Sundays now. And all he does is play with his shoelaces or strings or goes to the kitchen for food. I don't know how to balance stuff. Uh, I'm trying to do my work for my career, also the time for, to go to the gym and for my son. I feel guilty when I'm studying and how just wondering um, how to deal with. I have toys for him. Uh, but he has no interest, uh, no interest in anything that I've tried. What he does is mess with my stuff. When I have the TV off, like my laptop or keyboard or climbs on top of the refrigerator and messes with the cat's water. Uh, he's six years old. He's not yet potty trained because she says that she's tried. It's very difficult. He will fall asleep sometimes between 8 to 10 p.m. And then he wakes up sometimes between 3 to 4 a.m. in the morning so many noises and screaming. I'm tired in the morning for work at 6 a.m. because he stays awake. And she says, please help me. There's a lot Yeah, there's a on. lot. There's a lot. And I, I'm going to help you right now. But I, I don't think that you can manage all of it by yourself. I think you need help. And I, it sounds like you're on your own. I don't know if there's a partner or a spouse in the picture. I'm not sure. But... You really, and depending on where you are, there are easy ways to get help. So, for instance, the number one thing, you if you're in a state that provides social uh, services like respite care, mm -hmm. California does, for instance. I don't know what other states. Most states do. Most states It's a process. Do. It's a process, but getting respite care is important because that is, a person comes and just deals with whatever is there, takes care of your child while you get to go to the gym, you know, do all the things you need to do. And that's really important. If you can, if you can, if you can afford it, hire some, a nanny to do that. It doesn't matter his age. But and that aside, you should also be applying to your insurance to get ABA help, period. doesn't matter your, the child's age. ABA is appropriate for any age, and you need some support. Now, even if you get the very minimum, which is, I don't know, 10 hours a week, it's going to be very helpful because they'll start to set some uh, kind of rules around his behavior and set some contingencies in the house that will really help you. To begin with, the one thing I want you to understand is that toys are meant to be rewarding for most people, not all people. Some of our kids don't necessarily find great joy in toys that are for their age. They find joy in playing with shoelaces. It does not matter. 
you make a list. Those are all the things that are classified as rewards. And the list has nothing at all to do with what you and I might think. You might think ice cream is a reward and your child might hate ice cream. It has nothing to do with what we think. That's our rewards, okay, the ones that are in our head. His rewards are the ones that he craves, the ones that he goes after, the ones that he tries to gain access to. And already I can tell you it sounds like TV is one, playing with things like a shoelace or similar to that is another one. Perhaps water play might be one. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously computer or some sort of technology is one. There's four and food, right? There's, right. there's five. And those are all in one way or another fine. Some are preferable to others. And you never want your child to be obsessed with only one, but you're very lucky that he's interested in all five. That's right. great. So now you have a bunch of things that he likes and a bunch of things you want him to do. Okay, so for instance, you want him to sit quietly for 30 minutes and, you know, while you're working or I don't know what it might be. You start with a very low requirement, so sitting quietly for one minute, and you allow him a large quantity of one of those rewards. Mm -hmm. And then gradually over time, you increase what you're requesting of him and you decrease the reward so that it's pretty normal. Like he would, it would be very fine for him to have access to a uh, iPad or a laptop or a computer or something for let's say two 30 minutes or two hour long sessions per day. It's not a big yeah. deal. That's a very normal thing. So put that into his schedule. Someone who's working in ABA like a BCBA, if you can get involved with them, will help you produce these types of schedules. And I can see that we're over time, but I, I, yes. all, everything you need to do has to do with using those rewards at the appropriate time and also giving him a schedule. Our kids get into trouble when they have nothing to do. And you need to have a schedule so that he's busy with that schedule. And every step of the schedule, he does something functional, adaptive, good, and he gets a reward for a period of time. He does something else, he gets a reward. And that's how we live our lives. We don't realize that it's really that simple to produce that for our kids. Absolutely. You're brilliant, and I adore you. Thank you. And I love you. I'm, and I'm so glad that we had this time together with all of you, and I'm sorry that we didn't get to everything. I want you to know that we're back tomorrow live. We're covering it. We're continuing the Festival of Toys. Tomorrow I'm showing you a bunch of the winners from the teen and tween part of the toy guide and the adult portion. Then, starting on Thursday morning, we have our Thanksgiving Festival of Toys Marathon. Wow. So we're going to show you, over the years, some of the great toys that we have demoed. You'll see Dr. Grampy Shea playing with toys with me. You'll see my husband. You'll see past producers. My kids. Uh, your kids. <laughs> Nancy Allspot Jackson. Uh, all awesome. The, you know, the only person I haven't had made do it is my son. Oh, my gosh. At some point, I need to make him do that Absolutely. But anyway, you'll see all the craziness because we play with the toys and we have a good time. So all, all of them, you'll get to see all of that. Traven's got that ready for you guys. But tomorrow we're back live. But if you don't, aren't here with us, make sure we want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our viewers and to you and to Traven. I'm very grateful for and you to both. you. Thank oh, you. We're so grateful for you. But don't, uh, don't go away. Come back tomorrow to see the teen, tween, and adult category winners because they're fabulous. 
Some of them are just incredible. And one, there's a coupon for, and, and uh, make sure you sign up for our newsletter. So we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.